I've spent the last few weeks learning about persuasive techniques to try and figure out what makes someone more persuasive. Turns out all of us, even the least persuasive people on the planet, can be more persuasive by following some simple strategies. So keep listening to hear dozens of tips on how to become more persuasive. But first, here's a podcast I'd recommend. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct-to-consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I used to work at a company with a large sales team. There were around 65 salespeople at this company. And like most sales organizations, the salespeople received two types of pay. They received their base salary, which was a flat fee, and commission, which was based on the amount of sales they made and the size of the deal. That commission was a variable fee. It varied based on the size. Now, I remember chatting with a few of the sales team at the pub after work, and one of them brought up salaries and started talking about how different people in the team made different amounts. And this was an eye-opening conversation for a junior marketer like me. Firstly, I realized that some of the top salespeople got paid a huge amount. Some made even more than the CEO. But I also learned that others were paid very little. They struggled to make sales and often failed to make enough money to cover their monthly expenses. This struck me as being a little weird. The salespeople are all selling the exact same product and they're all having to sell it at the exact same price. Sure, some salespeople are more experienced and some are more connected, but I didn't expect there to be such a difference in the amount each salesperson sold. You wouldn't expect one Starbucks worker to sell two or three times the amount of coffee than another, and yet this was happening at my company to bigger levels. Clearly, some salespeople were just more persuasive. They got customers to agree, they made customers say yes, and they did this more often than their peers. But how? I wondered, is it all a fluke, or is there some sort of science behind it? Well, spoiler alert, it's not all fluke. In fact, it's not fluky at all. In today's episode, we'll cover the science behind persuasion. I'll show you tips you can use to be more persuasive, and you'll hear from social science professor Vanessa Bonds on her studies on persuasive behaviour. But first, a story on how someone stumbled upon a very persuasive strategy. It's an example from Robert Cialdini's book, Persuasion. A colleague of his was struggling to sell his consultancy project at full price. He'd deliver his sales pitch, start talking through the price, and immediately buyers would push for a 15% discount. This consistent haggling ate away at his profit, and eventually his margin became so slim that he could barely pay to keep the business running. Then, During one proposal meeting, he accidentally hit on a manoeuvre that rid him of this problem forever. It wasn't a bullet point list of the reasons to justify the expenses involved in the services. He'd given up on that approach as it only brought more scrutiny to the price. Instead, after his standard presentation, and just before declaring his $75,000 fee, he joked, as you can tell, I'm not going to be able to charge you a million dollars for this. 
The client looked up from the written proposal that they had been studying and said, well, yeah, I can agree to that. After saying that one line, the buyers would instantly agree on the price and wouldn't attempt to haggle down. Cialdini's colleague claimed that this tactic of mentioning an admittedly unrealistic price tag was a total fluke. He didn't mean to do it. But since realising that it works, he uses it time and time again and no longer has to haggle on price. Now this works, as some of you will know, due to anchoring. Saying it won't cost a million anchors the buyer to that higher price and makes 75000 seem fairly cheap in comparison. But anchoring is just one of the dozens of tools that you can use to be more persuasive. Here's another Cialdini example. See, when writing his book, Cialdini shadowed top salespeople to see what tricks and tips that they had learnt over the years. One salesperson who did door-to-door sales routinely left his sales collateral in the car. He'd knock on the door, get invited in, sit down, maybe have a cup of tea, and then, once seated, he'd say, Ah, oh, no, I've, I've left my stuff in the car, do you mind if I pop out and get it? Cialdini couldn't understand why this salesperson routinely did this in every single house he visited. Eventually, he plucked up the courage to ask the salesperson, and they revealed that they stumbled upon this tactic years ago, and it's worked ever since. The salesperson said, Sales is all about trust. If the buyers will let me walk in and out of their house on my own, they'll inherently trust me more, because the only people we let walk freely in and out of our house are the people we trust. Now, the naysayer in me wants to see this replicated in a study and peer-reviewed and have some real evidence behind it, but we'll get onto some peer-reviewed evidence on persuasion in a bit. But before we get on to the peer-review stuff, here's one more example from one of my ex-sales colleagues. Now, down the pub, he was bragging about the best sales pitch he had ever used. It was while he was working as a solar panel door-to-door salesperson. At first, he went to houses in a designated area. He was given a postcode or or a few blocks to sell to, and he would do his typical pitch. And 99 times out of 100, people would shut the door in his face. And then one day, he happened to be on the same road as his colleagues who were installing some solar panels for a house down the street. My ex-colleague, this salesperson, he used this to his advantage. He knocked on the first door, and rather than going into the usual pitch, he said, hey, we're installing some solar panels for your neighbours, Mr and Mrs White, down the street, and while we're here, I just thought I'd pop by to see if, if you'd like some installed as well. This was the persuasion hack he had been waiting for. Now, the majority of people said yes. They invited him in and signed up on the spot. Now, attentive listeners will know that this is down to social proof. We are more likely to take action if people similar to us are doing the same thing. So when we see people on our street installing solar panels, it makes it far more likely that we will do the same. But it's not just door-to-door salespeople with all these persuasion hacks. You can make your writing more persuasive too, in really an absurdly simple way. According to the results of a study done at Ohio State University, changing one word can massively improve how people view a product. Now, in this study, the researchers showed participants two sets of messages. Some of the messages were written as if they were speaking to a large group of people. For example, after all these years, people might accept that antiperspirants just aren't going to get any better. They might have to even accept the ugly stains on clothes. Well, they won't have to anymore. 
So that message, it's sort of written as if it's speaking to a group of people. The second message that researchers showed participants were written in a different way. They were written as if you were speaking to one individual. They said, after all these years, you might accept that antiperspirants just aren't going to get any better. You might even accept the ugly stains on your clothes. Well, you won't have to anymore. Now that second message was far more persuasive. By focusing the copy on an individual rather than a group, the message just resonated more. It also shows clearly that persuasion can work just as well online as it can in door-to-door sales. Politicians know this all too well, as a similar study from Stanford University revealed. Now, the researchers here exposed a randomly chosen set of online readers to a news account of a three-year rise in city crime rates. One of the groups was told that the rise in crime rates was akin to a raging virus. So that's one group of participants told it's a raging virus. Now, the other group saw the exact same news account with the exact same statistics, except now it was described as a raging beast. One group sees a virus, one group sees a beast. Later on in the survey, the participants were asked to indicate their preferred solutions to this problem. And it turns out, readers who initially saw crime portrayed as a beast recommended improving policing solutions rather than improving education. But the opposite pattern emerged among readers who initially saw the crime portrayed as a virus. Remarkably, this was a 22% difference, and it's only due to the change of a single word in a metaphor. This change was double the size of the differences that were naturally due to a reader's political party affiliation, which only changed the difference in proposed solution by 8%. So words matter. They influence and persuade us, even more so than our political affiliation. But let's get back to in-person persuasion. See, some people think that to be persuasive, we have to raise our voice and we have to be confident in our suggestions. But is this the case? Well, after this short break, I ask Professor Vanessa Bonds. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Now, if we want to be more persuasive, should we raise our voice? Or perhaps we should try and be more assertive. I wasn't so sure this was the case, so I reached out to Professor Vanessa Bonds, who spent her career studying influence. Here she is quickly introducing herself. 
so I am Vanessa Bonds, and I'm a professor here at Cornell University. I'm a professor of organizational behavior and psychology, and I'm an experimental social psychologist who studies social influence, but I study social influence in a way that's kind of different from the way most people do. Most people look at how to get people to do things or how to influence people. I'm really interested in people's intuitions about how we can influence people and whether they're accurate. Do we know the best way to influence other people? And do we know the impact that we have over other people every day? One of the intuitions or assumptions that most of us have is that to be more persuasive, you have to be more assertive. We need to raise our voices and share confident declarations. I think we learn this from politicians and other leaders. But is it true? Does it really work? Or is there a better way to persuade? I asked Vanessa. We think to be heard, we really need to increase the volume. Uh, We think we need to be more assertive. We need to keep pushing and try to get sort of that concession right there on the spot from another person. In fact, the research shows that that is not the best way to persuade other people. And that if you're too assertive, they actually bulk at that and wind up in this sort of psychological reactance where they're less likely to hear the things that we want them to hear. So there's kind of this disconnect between how we think we can influence people in the best way by upping the ante and sort of increasing the assertiveness and the ways in which we're actually able to influence other people. And so the study that you're referring to Uh, Basically ask people, you know, if you want to get someone to change their health behaviors, should you use this kind of language that's more assertive, right? All shouty and exclamation pointy, or should you use this language that's a little bit more subtle, that's kind of suggesting that they make some changes to their behavior. And participants who were supposed to be influencing another person actually chose the shoutier, more assertive message, thinking that would be more effective. But when they actually looked at what was more effective, it was this subtler kind of suggestive message. And part of it, I think, is that what happens is we really want the satisfaction of seeing influence right there. If someone's not going to sort of say, you're right, I'm going to make this change right here today, now, we feel like, oh, we didn't have an impact. And so we keep turning up the volume to get to that place when in fact, a lot of influence is delayed and cumulative. And so it might be that our nice, subtle sort of suggestion really sinks in a week later when we might not be there to see it and get that satisfaction, but it actually is more impactful in that way. Or maybe it is sort of accompanied by a bunch of other people's subtle suggestions. And there's this accumulation of suggestions, and then that has an impact on that person. But again, we sort of want that immediate moment of, I argued really strongly. I won my point. I changed someone's behavior. And that just isn't the best way to think about influence if we really want to change minds and change behavior. This study Vanessa shares shows two things. One, most of us believe that we need to be more assertive to be persuasive. But in reality, being more subtle will actually make you more persuasive. There's another study from the book Persuasion that backs this up. A team of Dutch researchers found that they'd struggle to get smokers to change their behaviour if they only shared assertive messages about how bad smoking is. After all, most smokers already know the risk. Instead, they found that subtle messages, which highlighted steps to help a smoker quit, performed much better in changing behaviour in the long run. 
See, there's an evolutionary bias that we've all developed called psychological reactance. Reactance basically means we don't like being told what to do. When someone in authority tells us what we're doing is wrong, we feel compelled to disagree, at least in Western cultures. It's why in the UK, Remainers struggled to convince Brexiteers to stay in Europe. The whole Remain in Europe argument was based on how Brexiteers were wrong. The same is sort of true for Hillary Clinton's supporters in the 2016 election against Trump. Telling somebody that they're wrong doesn't really convince people. And it's also why meat-free firms like Beyond Meat have slowly changed their messaging over time. Originally, Beyond Meat's messaging focused on how bad eating animal meat was. But that only put off meat eaters, causing this reactance. Eventually, they switched and talked about how tasty and popular Beyond Meat is. And sales have grown ever since. But what about expressing doubt? Salespeople at my old company were told never to talk about a product's weakness, to divert the conversation at all costs if a weakness was ever brought up. But is this the best way to persuade? I asked Vanessa. I think another thing that's kind of related to that last study is this idea that we think that expressing certainty is the way to convince other people and that anytime we express any doubts or you know reveal that we previously had doubts about something, that that undermines our argument. Uh, the problem is we often start out with doubts and then once we, you know, get a little further into a behavior, we start to feel very certain about it. So a lot of people who were vaccinated, for example, had doubts about whether they should get vaccinated, then they did it. And now they feel certain that that was the right choice. But then those same people try to convince other people to get vaccinated. And they often think the best way to make that argument is to be completely certain. Like, clearly, this is the right choice, right? I have no doubts. Instead of acknowledging that I did have doubts. And I came to this place and kind of meeting people where they are. And I think that's another misperception where we really think that certainty and assertiveness and boldness are the things that create change in other people when a lot of it is meeting them where they are, you know, expressing our own path um, and acknowledging uncertainties, but uncertainties that eventually led us to a direction that we'd like someone else to go in. Showcasing a doubt or acknowledging a weakness can make you more persuasive. The reason why is the exact same reason why that salesperson from earlier left his sales collateral in the car. It builds trust. It's the same reason why waiters who tell people not to order the lobster because it's not fresh today end up with higher tips and a higher total order value. There's another really easy way to build trust. People who are similar to us will naturally receive more trust. We have a bias for people like us and tend to trust them more. Now, this leads, as you can imagine, to some awful prejudices, but it also shows why a good salesperson will try and act just like you. You'll know when you've met a good salesperson because they will literally mimic your behaviour. If you fold your arms, they'll fold theirs. If you joke and laugh, they will too. This isn't by accident. Mimicking someone can build trust, increase liking, and help guarantee a sale. Studies cited in Robert Cialdini's book, Persuasion found that waitresses coached to mimic the verbal style of their customers doubled their tips. 
Negotiators, coached to do the same with their opponents, got significantly better final outcomes. Salespeople, who mimicked the language styles and non-verbal behaviours, like gestures and postures, of their customers, sold more of the electronic equipment they recommended. The more we mimic, the more persuasive we are. In fact, research shows that dancing in tandem with someone can dramatically increase how much they like you. One study in Germany with four-year-old children got the kids to play a game. Some of the kids walked around a circle with a partner while singing and keeping time in their movements with recorded music. Other kids did the exact same, but just without the accompaniment of music. Later, when the children had the opportunity to show helpfulness to one another, those who had sung and walked together in time with music were three times more likely to help out their partner. If you want to build trust with someone, just listen to music with them. And maybe that's why so many of us find love on the dance floor. It makes you realise how simple us humans are. The reason you buy double glazing probably isn't due to the savings you'll make on your energy bill. It might just be because the salesperson supports the same football club as you. Or because the salesperson gave you a compliment. See, compliments are another persuasion hack. In a really interesting study in a hair salon, stylists were told to compliment the customers by saying any hairstyle would look good on you. Their tips rose by 37%. Just with that one compliment, any hairstyle will look good on you. Compliments work, even if there's a clear ulterior motive. Chinese college students who received a pre-printed filer from a clothing store saying, we're contacting you because you're fashionable and stylish, developed positive attitudes towards the store and were more likely to want to shop there. Now that's hilarious, right? Because it's obviously marketing and yet that clear fake compliment worked. Other researchers found that individuals who worked on a computer task and received flattering task-related feedback from the computer developed more favourable feelings towards the machine, even though they were told the feedback had been pre-programmed and did not actually reflect their task performance at all. So there's one lesson here. It's stop trying to be assertive, stop trying to raise your voice, start giving more compliments and match the tone of your partner. Oh, and pay attention to the weather. One piece of research, again cited in Persuasion, showed that a man who complimented a woman and asked for their phone number to arrange a date was considerably more successful when he asked on a sunny morning versus a cloudy morning. 22.4% compared to 13.9% success rates. Sunny days don't just help you bag a date. Individuals surveyed by phone reported themselves as 20% more satisfied with their experience as a whole when asked on sunny days compared to rainy days. So maybe go set up business in a sunny Mediterranean city. But seriously, I don't want all of you listening to go away and just start thinking about who you're going to persuade and how you're going to influence them. Because You know, these tactics are great in your job, and I think people should take this advice on board, but we definitely don't want to be manipulating people with these tactics. Instead, all of us should be aware of them. We should take note when someone tries to use these tactics on us, and we should feel comfortable to say no when we realise how others are trying to persuade us with these tips. Because if these studies show us anything, it's that 
We simply can't make 100% rational decisions. We are extremely persuaded by others and often for inconsequential reasons like a compliment or an offhand remark about it not costing a million or even a sunny day. Now, if you have enjoyed this episode and you're wondering what to listen to next, make sure you go back and listen to episode 29 of Nudge. It's called Why First Impressions Matter. On that episode, I chat to the best-selling author, Phil Barden, about his research into first impressions. He reveals that people are persuaded not over time, but usually in a moment, in a blink of an eye. It's a cracker and it's one of my most popular episodes. So if you haven't listened to it before, click the link in the show notes to give it a listen or just scroll down on your player to go and find it. Massive thank you to Vanessa Bonds for coming on the show and for sharing her wisdom. Her book, You Have More Influence Than You Think, is a goldmine of persuasive info. Give it a read to learn how persuasive you really are. And as always, please do sign up to my newsletter. Not only will you get an email when new episodes drop, which is great, you won't miss out on any episodes that are coming out, but you'll also get some psychology tips in your inbox every week. You'll learn things like why green number plates sell more e-cars, why rock bands with distinctive logos sell out more gigs, and heaps of other marketing and business tips like that. To sign up, click the link in the show notes. Now you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn, just search for Phil Agnew, that's P-H-I-L-L, yes, two L's, I know I'm a bit weird, and then A-G-N-E-W. Connect with me on there, say hi, I'd love to chat to you. All right, that is all for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening.